when I was uh, 17 years old and I came to Christ, one of the things I remember that was very meaningful to me was that the purpose that he had for my life was obtainable. And, uh, and that purpose that he had for my life as far as obtaining that purpose, it wasn't going to be dependent upon factors that I really couldn't control. You know, one of the things that's most frustrating at times about having a purpose for your life is there's factors that you can't control that will keep you from accomplishing whatever purpose that you have. Sometimes those factors can be other people that won't cooperate with you in accomplishing your purpose. Sometimes it can be a lack of resources that will keep you from accomplishing your purpose. And so, you know, having a purpose that's really not determined, the outcome is really not determined by factors that are outside the realm of your control, that was really freeing for me. And you say, well, what was that purpose that you discovered that really gave you that freedom. Well, I realized just soon after I became a Christian that the Lord's purpose for my life, the Lord Jesus, his purpose for my life was for me to be like him. That was it. He wanted me to be like him. He wanted me to be a testimony to what he was like. And that particular purpose is, is not going to be determined by what you do or what someone else does in my life. It's not going to be determined by what resources or, you know, I have in my possession. It's up to me and the Lord, that entire purpose that he has for my life, to be like him. And here's the great thing about that purpose is that he provides all the resources, you know, and he's faithful and true, just like we sang this morning. He's faithful and true to accomplish, complete the good work that he has begun in me. And what a freeing thing that is, you know, to get up every day and know, you know what? I've got a purpose in life today. It's just to be like him. And uh, there's no one or no thing that can prevent me from accomplishing that particular purpose now after I embraced that 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 was his purpose was for me to be like him and we're not talking about divine attributes here like all knowledge and all-powerful and ever-present that's impossible we're talking about his character what he's like as we see it in the scripture as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us as we look at that what we began to realize, what I began to realize is that there's many, many scriptures that talk about what he's like. But one of the best, one of the best list, if I may say to you, of what he is like is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And in these Beatitudes, Jesus was talking to his disciples about what he wanted them to be like. But he was really telling them, this is what I'm like. And I'm God. So I want you to be like me in your character. And I want you to behave like me. In these first Beatitudes that we've been looking at, 
in Matthew chapter 5, they set up the rest of the sermon. Because the rest of the sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is built upon these Beatitudes. In other words, what he says after he gets done with these Beatitudes and after he gets done with verse 16 where he talks about us being the light of the world, uh, everything else is just an application of one of these Beatitudes. That's what it is. And so you want to know how to apply the Word of God to your life, then Beatitudes is an excellent place to start if it's your aim and if it's your purpose uh, to be like Jesus. Hope you have your Bible this morning. We're going to read these Beatitudes again this morning. We're going to read down through verse 8 today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God is where we're going to get to. But let's read this from Matthew chapter 5 and verses 1 through 8 before we dive in or dig in to uh, verse 8. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it amazing that God is poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't it amazing that the Lord cares enough about us that he mourns and grieves over our suffering and over our sin? Blessed are they that are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I mean, come on, a God who is meek? Isn't that incredible? His power is under his control, and he is meek. He came to be a servant of all. In other words, he lives or he exists to make others successful outside of himself. That's an understanding of meekness. Wow. And then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, it's not hard for us to believe that God hungers and thirsts for righteousness, but I'm so glad that he does. I'm so glad that he's a righteous God and that he's a just God in the midst of this unjust and unrighteous world that we have to live in at this time. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Aren't you glad that God is merciful? That he does not give us what we deserve for our sin. And he wants us to be merciful like him. And then today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God is pure in heart. And he wants us to be pure in heart. As we go through this message today, I'm going to answer three questions, and I'm going to share these with you so you can just follow along and you can know when I'm getting close to the end, right? That's the main reason I give them to you, so you'll go, oh, okay, he's close to the end. We can go to lunch, right? <laughs> but here's the three questions that I'm going to answer today. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Why is being pure in heart important to God? Why did he want his disciples to be pure in heart? And then the last question that we're going to answer is, how do we become pure in heart? So let's start with the first question this morning, answer it. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Matthew 5, 8, notice the first part of the verse, blessed are the pure in heart. What is a pure heart? Well, the Greek word that trans is translated pure means clean or clear. And this same word was used in everyday Hebrew vernacular to describe gold or silver. I mean, pure gold, what do you think about? Pure silver, what do you think about? 
You think about gold that's not defiled by any other element. Or silver that's not defiled by any other element, right? And so this same word, pure, was used when, in describing pure gold or pure silver. It was also used in describing water, pure water, that doesn't have any contamination in it. When you say water, that water's pure, you know, that's what you're saying. You're saying it doesn't have any elements in it that contaminate it or defile it. Or it was used, this word pure, for a glass, a crystal clear glass, you know, like the kind of glass that Sandra, after she shines our windows in our li living area, there are birds that don't recognize that the glass is there. And they crash into the glass because they cannot see it. It's pure, right? It's crystal clear. And then a white linen. This word pure was used to describe a white linen. A white linen that's so white it doesn't have any, any stain in it whatsoever. This word pure was used for someone who has bathed. It would be used in common vernacular like that. You know, oh, you've bathed, you're pure, you've cleansed yourself, all right? And certainly this was important to the Jewish people with all of their ceremonial washings that they had to perform in their worship of Jehovah God in the Old Covenant. This word pure would have been used for a clear conscience. In other words, a conscience that's void of any offense against God or man, as far as you know. And so this word pure would have been used in that context. And then uh, it would have been used for an unblemished lamb. A pure lamb is the way this word would have been used. A lamb that is without any blemish. In other words, it, its fur is completely white. There's, there's not any blemish or stain or any other color on that lamb, an unblemished lamb. You know, when we think about uh, a pure heart, we may think, first of all, about the physical heart. And that's what people would tend to do who don't understand the Bible. They would think about their physical heart. Oh, is he talking about having a pure physical heart, you know, physically? Well, I would definitely like to have one of those if it was possible. I'm sure that mine has a lot of contamination and blockage in it right now to some level. And that's going to be the case throughout our lives as we live in this world that's fallen. And we began to decline various ways physically. But that's not what uh, uh, Jesus is talking about here is having a pure physical heart. You know, our heart is a powerful muscle. That physically, it's our life force. I mean, if my heart stops beating, then it means I'm done, okay? And you're done too, the moment your heart stops beating. So Jesus wasn't talking about his disciples having a pure physical heart. This was not a lesson in nutrition. Jesus was talking about having a pure spiritual heart is what he was talking about. Well, where is this heart that Jesus is talking about? He was talking about the spiritual heart of our soul. You know, the Bible tells us that when God created man, he created man to be a three-part or tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. Now, sometimes the words spirit and soul are used interchangeably in the Bible, but there are those occasions where it's broken down that we are a tripart or a three-part being. 
And each part of our being, our spirit, our soul, and our bodies, they all have different functions. And they're supposed to work together, but they all have different functions. There's functions of my spirit that my body cannot do. And there's functions in my soul that my body cannot do. The heart of our soul is our motives. Our motives. It is what drives our will toward action. You know, unlike other mammals that are driven primarily by their physical desires and physical instincts, every human being is driven by these secret, powerful motives in the heart of our soul. Our physical desires and instincts are controlled by these secret, powerful motives. And when I say secret, they're invisible. They're invisible to everyone but God. God knows our heart. He knows our motives in our soul. And so it's these motives that drive our will toward action. Our physical desires and our instincts are controlled by these motives, and these motives can be righteous, or another way to say righteous is the word pure, or these Motives can also be evil. Now, I don't think anyone in this room would disagree with that, that we as human beings can have uh, evil motives, impure motives. What do you call those motives when they're wrong, when they're impure, when they're evil? Well, the Bible, the Bible has very descriptive terms for these evil motives. And here's the way they're identified in Scripture. Selfish ambition. Have you ever suffered from selfish ambition? You see, that is a condition of the heart of man. Not your physical heart, your spiritual heart. When you suffer from selfish ambition and and you're willing to injure hurt other people in order to have your ambition satisfied when it's all about you and not about others that's selfish ambition right so having that motive of a selfish ambition is one way that God's word describes an impure heart in other words If I'm having a selfish ambition, then at that moment in time, my heart is not pure, and neither is yours. And then another another evil motive found in the Scripture is greed. And uh, Jesus, I put some verses up here. I put one verse by each one of these where it's talked about in the Scripture. But greed. Now, greed can be a motive to obtain more than what you need for your own purposes and it can be applied to many different things for example the one that's used most common in scripture is money and it's it's greed for money that ultimately motivates people to do all kinds of things that are wrong in their behavior like steal and then once you steal you lie okay and and people will justify it but ultimately 
One of the evil motives that can be found in the souls of mankind is this motive of, of greed. Selfish ambition and then greed. And then a third one that's used in the scripture that's another evil motive of the heart that's identified in scripture is bitter or bitterness. And there's lots of places in the Bible that talk about this particular impure motive. And, and bitterness, you know what it is. It's a, it, the word bitter literally means poison. And so this is really a bad evil motive because it poisons us spiritually for sure. And it poisons people around us. But being bitter just means that you're seeking to, to get revenge upon others for some way that they've uh, offended you or some way that they've hurt you or some way that they've injured you or someone that you care about. And so we can be bitter in our hearts. These are all impure motives of the heart. And then there is, is pride. Pride is that motive to be exalted above other people. It's that motive to have power and control of, over other people so that they do what I want them to do. That's the motive of pride. And each one of these evil motives, one of the things I love about the Bible, each one of these evil motives has certain branches that grow out of them in our behaviors. And so even though they are invisible, they're not. Because a tree is known by what? It's fruit, all right? And so when we have one of these, uh, one or more of these evil motives in our heart, then uh, it's going to be seen in our behavior. It's going to be seen in the words that we speak. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so I thought it would be good for you this morning to just take a, a look at these particular motives of the heart. They're not pure. These are impure motives of the heart. And so Jesus wants his disciples to be pure in heart. And a person who's pure in heart doesn't have any of these evil motives. Wow. Wouldn't that be great to be a person that wasn't being controlled, where the direction of your life was not being dictated by one of these evil motives. So blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. So why is being pure in heart important to God? Well, first of all, the first answer to that is that he has a pure heart, right? Jesus had a pure heart, and he is God. And uh, God the Father has a pure heart, a heart that is, is totally pure, without, without, without bitterness, without greed, you know, without these other things, we, no selfish ambition, without pride. And so God has a pure heart. And he created mankind, you and I, in his image. From the very beginning, we were created to be like him. And the reason he created us to be like him was for his glory, to make himself known. You and I are supposed to be a testimony 
to what God is like. And so if, if, if you meet someone that instead of having selfish ambition, they're really motivated by generosity to help other people, you're seeing what God is like in that particular person. If you meet someone who is, who is not bitter, but they're, they're, they're merciful and they're forgiving, and, and so they're not always trying to get a pound of flesh out of somebody else when they get offended or violated, when you see that kind of person that doesn't, that's not motivated by bitterness, then you're seeing what God is like. When you're seeing someone that's humble, that's not always trying to exalt themselves, to make themselves uh, you know, popular, uh, to, to get fame, to get power, to get control, then you're seeing what God is like. And he wants people to be like him, to reveal his glory. One of the things that the Bible says, if you're new to the Bible, about God and his nature, it says that his nature is righteous and it says that his nature is love. God is love. He's motivated by his nature of righteousness and he's motivated by his nature of love. And Satan, what Satan did was he deceived in the beginning and he's still doing it to this day. He deceived mankind and when he did, and mankind believed the lie that Satan offered about God. And basically, basically what Satan was saying about God is his heart's not pure. He's withholding something back from you that you deserve and that would make your life better. And what Adam and Eve believed that lie, and mankind's been believing it ever since, that God is not pure in his heart, that he's not righteous. Because look, my life is not fair. He must not be righteous or he'd be giving me something better than what I have. Or he's not really uh, loving. That he really has some kind of selfish ambition that he's trying to fulfill. God is motivated, according to the Bible, by his righteousness and his love. And what God did because he loves us is that he sent Jesus to restore in us the very image of God incredible really it is i mean it's amazing it's amazing and it's amazing what happens in your soul when you begin to cooperate with god in order to become pure in heart and not walk in these evil motives that we just described so god wants uh, it's it's important to god that uh we be pure in heart because he has a pure heart Another reason that it's important to God for us to be pure in heart is that he wants us to see him. I want you to look at the other part of this verse, Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And God wants us to see him, okay? And so to see him, he wants us to know that we need to be pure in heart in order to see him. You see, if we have evil motives, it will cause us to suffer spiritual blindness if we have evil motives i'll say it again it will cause us to suffer spiritual blindness we won't be accurate in our assessment of spiritual things when we have evil motives we won't be accurate in our perception of god when our motives are evil or sinful the bible says this in many places but one of the clearest verses on this 
is in Titus chapter 1 and verses 15, 16. This is the Apostle Paul talking to his disciple Titus, who's now a pastor. And here's what he says. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work a reprobate. Now here's how this works out in our life. If our heart is polluted by an evil motive, it will cause us to be blind to the glory of God. In other words, if you're driven by selfish ambition or bitterness or pride, you won't see the glory of God. And you won't give thanks for his glory. You'll be too self-focused to see the glory of God when you have an evil motive. If our heart is polluted by an evil motive, it will cause us to be blind uh, to God's plan for our life. I mean, it's just amazing when a man is driven by lust. It's amazing how, who he can end up marrying. And the same goes for a woman. Ladies, if your heart is driven by lust, then you're going to end up missing God's plan for your life when it comes to marriage. You can't see the plan of God when you have the wrong motive. And that's why I tell young people, you need to get your heart right with God before you ever marry anybody. Because you're going to make a terrible choice if you do not have the right motive for getting married. And then if our heart is polluted by an evil motive, it will cause us to be blind to what God says is sin. And we see that all around us in our society today. I mean, people are calling evil good and good evil. Why is that? Because their motives are evil. You say, oh, no, they're just deceived. They're deceived because their motives are wrong. There's some kind of selfish ambition or pride or bitterness or greed that's causing them not to see. Well, surely... That's wrong. No, we're going to call that right. If our heart is polluted by an evil motive, it will cause us to be blind to the blessings that God has for us. And we'll miss them. If our heart is polluted by an evil motive, it will cause us to be blind to the consequences of sin. And this is one of the worst consequences of having the wrong motive. Is that you have an evil motive like selfish ambition or bitterness or pride or greed... And you enter into sin, and you can't even see the consequences. Wow, isn't that crazy? I mean, we always say about young men that young men's frontal lobe of their brain doesn't develop until they're 27 years old. And when they're 27 years old, that's when that frontal lobe is developed. And it's in that frontal lobe that, that they began to understand consequences of their actions. Have you ever heard that said before? Well, I want you to know there may be some truth to that. With the development of men's brains, I think for some men, they don't develop that frontal lobe until they're about 50 or 60, from what I've seen. But hey, let me, let, me tell, let me give you men some really good advice. Get a pure heart, and it's amazing how clearly you're going to see the consequences of sin. Don't have a pure heart, and you're not going to see those consequences coming, and they're going to hit you. And you're going to find, how in the world did I miss that? How in the world did I not see that consequence coming? I can tell you. I can tell you because the Word of God says it. You had an evil motive. You had an evil motive. You know, if we have an evil motive, we become like an intoxicated man who cannot see the harm he's doing to others and himself 
especially when he's driving. And we ask the question, after a terrible accident happens and someone who's been driving while they're drinking injures someone else or injures himself, we, and we ask, how in the world could they not see that coming? And the answer to that's very simple. They were intoxicated. And when you're intoxicated, you don't see consequences coming from your behavior, your actions, your words. I know that firsthand. <laughs> you don't see it coming. And all, your all of a sudden, man, your life is being destroyed by things you didn't see coming. If we are intoxicated with the wrong motive or motives, we cannot see what we are doing to ourselves and to others. You know what they say about people in recovery from substance abuse is that they have to be in recovery for a certain amount of time until their minds start thinking straight. That's what they say. So their minds can start seeing the consequences of what they've been doing. And that provides motivation for them to change. So it's very important to God that uh, we have a pure heart because one, he has a pure heart. And then two, he wants us to see him. And, and in the, when you have a pure heart, it's amazing how it changes your perspective on everything in life. I admit to you, I'm a terrible fan when it comes to OU football. I am driven entirely by the motive of selfish ambition when it comes to OU football. In other words, I want them to win for me. I don't want them to win for Oklahoma. I don't want them to win for the players on the team. I don't want them to win for the coaches. The truth is... I struggle with selfish ambition when it comes to being a fan. So you guys can hold me accountable and ask me how I'm doing. I did notice our worship wasn't quite as good today. And it wasn't the team's fault. It was the mourning and grief of all the OU fans this morning who have allowed that to impact their worship. Shame on you. But it's just amazing. It's amazing how, when our motives are not pure, how it impacts our perspective and how it impacts our behavior and our conduct. And God wants us to see him. Why do you say, why does he want us to see him? Because he loves us. I mean, when you love somebody, what you want, you want them to know you. You want them to see you when you love them. Into me see. Intimacy. We were reminded of this week. Intimacy is intimacy. And God wants intimacy with us. He wants us to have that. But in order to do that, we've got to see into Him and have the right perspective on who He is. And the great thing about that is when you begin to gain that right perspective, you begin to gain a new perspective on who He's made you to be. And it's incredibly freeing. When that begins to happen. So how do we become pure in heart? That's the last question. That means we're close to the ending, right? How do we become pure in heart? Well, here's the deal. We're really dumb. Apart from God. Have you realized that about yourself yet? Just how ignorant you can be apart from the Spirit of God. 
working in your soul and your life. If, if you haven't had that revelation yet, I'm making it. You are stupid. Without God working in your soul. You can't see things. You are blind without the work of the Holy Spirit in your soul. Oh, man, that should make you poor in spirit. It should make you just fall down and say, God, I need you to see things clearly. Because I'm so blind. I'm so blind to my own sinful behavior. I'm so blind to bad judgments that I can make for myself and others apart from you, Lord. So we, the Spirit of God, if we're going to really understand the motives of our heart, it's going to take a revelation of the Spirit of God to us about those motives. In Genesis 6 and 5 and 6, it says, and this was right after the fall of man or not long after the fall of man, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the way God summed up the condition of spiritual condition of mankind at that time. Nobody's heart was pure. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The answer is no one apart from God. No one can know their own heart apart from a revelation of the Spirit of God. He's the one who has to reveal to us the condition, the condition of our heart. In Matthew 15 and 19, Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And so he said that in the context of revealing some, uh, something to people that were really focused on the outward, and he's focused on the inward. What's going on in your heart? And only the Spirit of God can reveal to us these impurities in our hearts. You know, our hearts are impure from the day that we're born. Did you know that? Did you know that about yourself? I'm not saying that from a biological standpoint. I'm saying that from a spiritual standpoint based upon the Word of God. David said that in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, he knew he wasn't in good shape from the day he was conceived in his mother's womb. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. I think if all of us that are parents or have been parents would be honest, we would say, yeah, I see that. You know, that little baby comes out of that womb and looks so innocent. But it's not long before a new parent discovers that their sweet little innocent child is not innocent. And we make excuses for them. We just say, oh, they're just children. You know, they're just children. And that's true. We need to give them room to grow. That's for sure. But it only takes a few days to discover that that child is really motivated by what? There's a lot of selfish ambition going on inside the heart of that child, right? This sweet little innocent baby, it's got this powerful motivation of selfish ambition. You say, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from you. And it came from your descendants before you. And we take it clear back to Adam 
And it's been happening ever since Adam that every child that's ever been born other than Jesus Christ is born with this very powerful, selfish ambition in their motives. And then that selfish ambition, what does it do? Well, it starts turning into bitterness. When you don't satisfy that selfish ambition, they get bitter at you. And let me ask you something. What, what have you as a parent done to them that would cause them to be bitter at you? Well, what you did is you withheld something they wanted. Isn't that terrible? And they become bitter when they don't get what they want. And then they're full of pride, right? These little innocent babies. I'm, I know I'm talking to some of you going, I'm never going to have one. You know, we had, we had eight of them. Sonner had four. We've had 12. You know, we got a blended family now. Both of us had lots of experience in raising kids. And this is one of the things that we understood about our babies from day one. They're not innocent. They've got these motives that aren't right in their hearts. They're full of pride. You know, it doesn't take long before you see it in them. They believe that they should be the center of your universe. And everything should revolve around their life. And if you upset their apple cart, they are mad. Why is that? Because they have the motivation of pride. And then you put them in a nursery one day, and all of a sudden... You see this greed come out as they begin to interact with other children. You know, those toys that they want to play with, they don't want to share them with others. They want that toy. And you begin to see all these motives. Well, this is the condition of our hearts from day one of our conception. And we do not know this about ourselves. In fact, we sort of grow up thinking that we're sort of innocent and pure. You know, let me tell you about a cursed child. A cursed child is a child who has parents that enable their child to believe that they have a pure heart. In other words, they're always telling your heart's pure. I don't know why you're doing that. You have, you have a good heart. I don't know why you're destroying that. I don't know why you're destroying that other child. Because you have such a good heart. I'm telling you, that's a cursed child who has a parent that thinks their child has a pure heart. A blessed child is a child who has parents that has the biblical worldview about themselves and their child. That is a blessed child. This parent will take steps to restrain that child's evil motives with discipline and awaken that child's conscience to their evil motives. In other words, one of the questions that I would regularly ask my children after they did something wrong is, why did you do that? We said, why would you do that? Why would you ask them that question? Because I wanted them to realize, I wanted to awaken their conscience that their motives weren't always right. And they needed to deal with that because if they didn't deal with the issue of the heart, they weren't going to change in their conduct. You know, parents who take steps to restrain their child's evil motives with discipline and awaken their child's conscience to their evil motives, this can bring a measure of repentance so that that child can at least become a decent citizen. <laughs> who has a measure of respect for the law and the rights of others. But here's the case. No matter what you do as a parent to awaken your child to their evil motives, Unless the Spirit of God reveals to a child that their heart is impure, that child's going to grow up to be a fine hypocrite. 
You know, having been the pastor at this one church for so many years, I'm sorry to say that I've seen many children grow up with a thorough training in Christian religion only to grow up to be fine hypocrites. They've been trained well to do the right things, but they've never seen the evil condition of their own heart. So they've never cried out to God for salvation from that evil condition. Oh, maybe they cried out to God because, yeah, they know they've sinned here and there along the way, and they... Uh, they really don't want to go to hell. Maybe there is a hell. I just want to make, make sure that I've got the proper insurance in case there is a hell. And so they make a profession of faith and get baptized to get that fire insurance. And they grow up to be these fine hypocrites because they really didn't come to Christ out of brokenness. Because they saw the evil of their hearts and he was the only one who could fix it. Wow. I'm sorry to say that's happened a lot under my own ministry but then they get older and then what happens those evil motives don't go away <laughs> they don't go away if they've never been dealt with and they create havoc for them and those closest to them when they finally break away from the restraints of their youth and they begin to plunge themselves headlong into various sins that their parents were saying you don't that's not right you shouldn't do that being intoxicated by their wrong motives, they are blind to their sin. And some even have the gall to blame their current chaos in their life and relationships on the way they were raised or some way they were mistreated by the restrictions that their parents put upon them when they were growing up. Crazy, isn't it? Their parents and their church have become a convenient scapegoat. You know, there are some that may be justified in their accusation to some measure if they had parents or a preacher that did not show them and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that's never happened from this pulpit in the days I've been here. Since I've been here, there's been the message of the gospel. And it's not just about we as sinners because we sin. It's about, no, we need a new heart. <laughs> you know, our motives are bad. And we need God to change that in us. It's only the Holy Spirit that can awaken us to this dark condition of our heart. Glory be to God, he woke me up when I was 17. He may use parents and preachers or other people to make us consider our condition, but only the Spirit of Jesus Christ has the power to fully awaken people to the condition of their heart that's evil and sinful. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Spirit of God must reveal to us that our heart is evil or we're never, ever going to cry out to God to change us. We'll never see our true need unless that happened. If we do see that need, the Spirit of God must then give us a new heart. That's how we get it. The Spirit of God shows us that our old heart's corrupt, needs to be replaced. And then the Spirit of God gives us a new heart. This promise is found in Ezekiel 36. 26 and 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Wow, what a promise. The Lord said, I can fix this. In this new covenant of grace, I can give you a new heart. God cannot just clean up our heart by giving us his law or a new philosophy for how we should live. Some people think that's what Christianity is. He, 
He did that with the Jews, and you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work because their hearts were impure with these evil motives. What they needed, according to the prophets, according to Jesus, according to the apostles, they needed a new heart. We're all born with the heart of a rebel against God. Every one of us. And for us to have a pure heart, the only way it's ever going to happen is that God has to replace it with a new heart. And that new heart loves God. That, that new heart knows God instinctively. When you receive a new heart from God, you immediately love God. You don't have to work it up. You do it. It's your new heart. And then you know God. You don't know everything you need to know with your mind yet. And you never will, by the way, because no matter how far we explore the wonders of God, we're always going to come up short. But when you receive that new heart, not only do you love God, but you, you know God. And, and when you receive that new heart, you want to obey Him. Obedience is no longer Oh, man, I have to keep that law even though I don't want to. <laughs> no, obedience is like, yeah, I know in my heart I want to obey God. I want to be what he wants me to be. Why? Because I'm such a wonderful person. Never was a wonderful person. It's only because Jesus has changed my heart. Otherwise, no telling where I'd be if that hadn't happened to me. See, God promises that he will do this for us if we believe in his son Jesus and follow him. Why Jesus? Well, why Jesus? Well, he was God in human flesh. That's why Jesus. He lived an indestructible life. He wasn't born with this evil heart that you and I were born with. He was born with a pure heart. Can you imagine? He really was innocent. And he never sinned. That's what it means to have an indestructible life. And then he died to satisfy the judgment of God against us because of our sin, because of our impure hearts. And then he gives us a new heart. He sends his wonderful spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit to live in us. And when that occurs, when that spirit comes to dwell in us, what happens to us? Jesus called it being born again. Another way of saying it is we receive a new heart, and our heart is pure. I'm telling you, when that happens to you, when that happened to me when I was 17, it was indescribable. It was incredible. I was overwhelmed with the love of God and the knowledge of God. In that moment, I knew I didn't want to do anything else but obey Him. That's what the promise of the gospel is, people. This is not a religion. It's not a new list of a philosophy of life for you to adapt. And that's what some of you were raised in, in various churches and denominations, and they were wrong. The only hope for you and me is to get this new heart. Don't take a chance, folks. Don't count on religion to save you if you don't have that new heart. Make sure, make sure that you've come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ and received it. So what do you need to do to cooperate and get this new heart? Once again, it's only the Holy Spirit that can do the work. 
But we can confess. That's what the Bible calls us to do, confess. This word confess means to be transparent. It means to be authentic. It means to be real. It means to be real about what? It means to be real about your heart. When you come to God, it's like, my heart's evil. I'm driven by selfish ambition. I'm driven by pride. I'm driven by bitterness. I'm driven by greed, God. Confess, acknowledge what's driving you. Be honest. Humble yourself before the Lord. God won't give us a new heart until we agree with him that our hearts are evil and need to be replaced. If we want to have a pure heart, we must be willing to turn to God and pull back the veil on our evil motives and just say, there it is. There it is, God. That's what's been motivating me. My heart is evil. There it is. You know, that's so hard for us, but when we do that with God, he goes, all right, here's somebody I can help. Here's somebody I can say. Here's somebody I can do a work in. And he will. It all starts, folks, with agreeing with him. Agree with him. If you've never done it before, yes, my heart is defiled by sin. It's defiled by selfishness, bitterness, pride, greed. Oh, my goodness. I deserve the judgment of God upon my soul for eternity because I am so polluted in my motives. Look what it's done to my life. Wow. Confess. Confess. Agree. Agree with the Word of God. And then connect. Connect with God through Jesus Christ. And we do this by believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin and following Him. And our first act of obedience is what? Baptism in water. (laughs) All that is is a symbol that we've got the new heart, right? Go into the water. All our sins washed away. Old man's dead and buried with Christ. Come up out of the water. New heart. New heart. Man, this is incredible. That's what it's all about. Jesus sends his spirit to dwell in us, and the Holy Spirit comes into us and unites with our spirit, and he gives us a new heart that has what? The new heart that he gives us has the nature of God. Oh, now that is a heart that is valuable. A spiritual heart that has the very nature of God. And that's what the Word of God says about us. That now it's my nature to walk in generosity. It's my nature now to walk in love. It's my nature to walk in humility. It's my nature to be a servant to others. Because in my heart now is the very nature of God. That's who I am. Man! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for providing such an incredible plan of salvation that this is not a religion. A new heart. A new heart. And that changes everything. It changes everything. You begin to see things differently. You begin to see God like he's portrayed in these banners. You begin to see God in that. You begin to see people as very valuable to God, created in the image of God. And you want them to have that heart that God has given you. Wow, it changes everything about your life. When you confess and when you connect. Let's pray together this morning. Are you ready?
Don't let that person that is next to you right now keep you from confessing that your heart is so evil with selfish ambition, with greed, with bitterness, with pride. Don't let them talk you out of it by telling you it's not true about you. Don't go to hell because you believe the lie of the person sitting next to you rather than believing the truth of God's word. Don't let Satan deceive you again. He's been calling you. He's been calling you. He's been working in you, trying to convince you that your heart is wrong. And you need his heart. Do you see it? Do you see it? Don't let all of your years in the church, serving the church, convince you that you don't need a new heart if you've never been convinced. Confess. Agree with God right now. Just agree with Him. Yes, Lord, my heart is so selfish. My heart is so bitter. My heart is so full of pride. My heart, Lord, is so full of greed. Confess. And then connect with Jesus. You do that by saying, Lord, I turn to you right now. I confess these things to you about myself. And I want them changed. Hmm. I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you did live an indestructible life, a sinless life. I believe that you were the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're Lord of heaven and earth. I believe you're going to return one day for me and all of your people. Lord, I put my faith in you. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Would you say that to God right now and connect with Jesus? And he will give you his spirit and he will give you a new heart if you will confess. If you will confess. And if you will connect to him. If right now you would say, that's what I want for me. I'm not sure about my salvation. I've never really confessed to God those kind of things before. And right now I want to confess those things to him. And I want to connect with Jesus right now. Would you be willing while everyone here is bowing their heads and closing their eyes just to give an outward indication of that by raising your hand and saying, that's me. That's what I want right now. Would you do that? That's what I want right now. That's what I want. Well, amen and amen. That's what I want for you. You know why I want that? Because within me is the heart of God, the nature of God, through the Spirit of God, united in my spirit. That's what I want for you. And that's what we all want for you that are members of his church. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to fill out a card today that's in the back of that pew. A connect card, put your name on there and say, hey, I want to follow the Lord in baptism. I want to take that next step. If you raised your hand today, that's what I want to encourage you to do. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, the work you're doing in us. In Jesus' name.